This is the Skin in the Game VC podcast, hosted by Tom Wallace, entrepreneur turned venture capitalist and the managing partner at Florida Funders. You'll learn from the best about investing in early stage tech companies, so you too can gain the confidence and find the tools that help you succeed as an angel investor. Are you ready to get some skin in the game? Hello, my name is Tom Wallace, and I am the managing partner of Florida Funders. Welcome to our Skin in the Game VC podcast. We call it Skin in the Game because I say we, me and my partners, because we invest right alongside our investors. Uh, we are, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Florida Funders, we're a combination of a venture capital firm and an angel network of um, accredited investors who invest in early stage technology companies. We like to say we're on a mission to change Florida from Sunshine State to Startup State. And uh, I'm really excited about our guest today. Uh, Lakshmi Shamoy, and she'll be introducing herself here in a second. But before we do that, one thing I do like to share with everybody is why we do this. And really, the purpose is to learn. I think one of the great things about both being an angel investor and an entrepreneur is it's, especially in technology, it's so dynamic, it's always changing. And there's always something new to learn and something, someone new to learn from. So that's what this is all about. Um, our audience consists of uh, mostly angel investors and founders. So we try to appeal to both both sides, and uh, that's a big part of Florida Fund. So, Lakshmi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Really excited about having you on the show. Um, where to start? I mean, I, I why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and and um, and how you how you came to be in Tampa? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I my background is is probably defined by being surrounded by people who are willing to take chances and willing to learn and discover things. And um, for me, that was defined very much by a childhood of spending in national labs. Uh, my dad was a physicist, and so every weekend I would go with him to work because scientists, just like entrepreneurs, work all the time. Uh-huh. And uh, so, so you know, when he was on weekend duty, and his, where did you grow up? Where was he? Uh, this was outside of Chicago. Okay. And so, when we were on, when he was on weekend duty, he would take me to the lab so he could get some work done, and I could write on whiteboards. Um, that was the, my childhood entertainment. And, and my, my, my reward was, uh, you know, if I behaved well at the lab, then, uh, I would get to go to McDonald's, which as you know, a five-year-old, there's nothing, there's no better prize <laughs> nothing better than, than, than a happy meal, exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. But I grew up around scientists. So people who were taking chances, making hypotheses and, and, testing those hypotheses. And so the entrepreneurial mindset is very intuitive to me because I was brought up around all of these same types of individuals. I never thought about that connection before uh, scientists it's and so founders similar. entrepreneurs. Yeah, that it's, makes sense. Take, yeah. They take risks. They're trying things. It doesn't work. Try something else. It's that experimental mindset is pro- probably the, the thing that I really try to, to focus on with entrepreneurs that I work with right now mm-hmm. is that you can't assume that your assumptions are true all the time. And scientists understand that to a T. They have a method to test all of their hypotheses. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's the mindset, the culture that I grew up with. You couple that with a mother who was a librarian and 
still is a writer and astrologer. Uh, it's very much right brain meets left brain. So uh, it's not all too surprising that I've found myself in the world of startups and entrepreneurship when you couple that um, ability to experiment with the creativity from my mom. Um, it's sort of a perfect equation for startup life. Uh, uh -huh. So I feel like I found a place that I've been groomed for for a very long time. Uh, but, you know, when I was sort of got to, to this point, I um, went to the University of Chicago for my undergraduate studies. I studied sociology. I worked in advertising and branding um, and media. I got an MBA along the way at Harvard and then um, at, Couldn't get any, into any really good schools. You know what? I was rejected <laughs> by a school, and I was accepted by Harvard. So, so it's it's. Uh, what it, school was that? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> talk about it now. It's still a little sore, uh, but but I did get into Harvard. So when you get into Harvard, you go. Um, of course, and so, I was on the campus last week. By the way, yes, yes, I was on a few weeks prior. Uh, but uh, you know, and, and and I didn't go to Harvard, nor would they ever let me near that place. Uh, give I, yourself more credit. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is it's it's been really a fun. It was a fun transition for me in 2014 to take what had been really a, a side passion around helping startups. So I. I, I graduated business school in 2010, which meant I started in 2008, which was the start of the recession. Mm -hmm. And so you saw all of these major companies go down. And in my class at um, HBS, there was a disproportionate number of individuals who started their own companies because they realized they were the only ones they could rely on and, and guarantee that they'd have a future out of, you know, you're watching Lehman go down, you're watching Merrill, you're watching yeah. all of these companies. Um, and you realize, oh, well, if I want to have any sort of certainty, maybe I need to bet on myself. And so the class as a whole has a real entrepreneurial mindset. And it had been a bit of a side passion for me. And it was in 2014, where I decided to say, you know, why don't I let my passions actually drive what I'm going to do next. And so uh, there was an opportunity for me to join a team in Chicago that was running the um, the largest startup incubator really in the, in the country at the time. Um, 1871, 1871, right? yeah. And so um, since mm -hmm. then has been ranked the number one university-affiliated uh, business incubator in the world. And um, I got to join uh, the team at the time was led by a serial entrepreneur named Howard Tolman. And uh, I got to be his right hand for four years. And um, in the process of, of being at 1871, which was an amazing experience, I got to meet Jeff Vinnick, who is the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And um, about a year after we met, he had reached out and said, hey, we want to build something to really support the entrepreneurs of Florida and the Tampa Bay region. Would you be interested in moving down? And so I had no connection to Florida. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, unlike many people, I didn't have a, uh, a family member who was already down here or any sort of connectivity. So I really moved for this opportunity to build something from scratch and then 
So the, Which the, is called Embark Collective. Exactly. And, and is in what, your third year, fourth year? Uh, so I moved down in 2018. We officially launched in 2020, and uh, now it's 2022. So I don't even know how to tell time. I'm like, I've been here for four years. Embark has been going for about, you know, a little over two years. Um, so it's uh, it's been pretty remarkable. It's my own startup for yeah, startups. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a startup if I ever saw one. Exactly. I, I've watched it from a distance. Yeah. Congratulations, done a great job there and for our, our listening audience um our viewing audience whatever what what is different about well first of all i, I kind of answered so jeff's recruits you down he gives you a bunch of money and says go build this no, I wish. I mean, I, that's, that's, uh, it's it's funny. So so he definitely he he provided the the seed capital for for what we're doing, and then we have a great group of individuals and, and companies called our Founder Circle that are really invested in the success of this community. And so collectively, so you had to raise some of the money. Yeah, and so collectively, um, you know that that group who who predominantly makes up our board of directors has been incredible in making sure that we have um, a long term future. Uh, to to really build out the vision of Embark Collective and the beauty of of the freedom that I was given when I moved down and and Jeff is definitely the the one who um, sort of offered that freedom to me was to really re envision what would be a successful model for this market and so. Uh, just like any good entrepreneur, I needed to understand my market. So I had lots of conversations with uh, with founders down here, with funders down here, all of the stakeholders that are um, key to an entrepreneurial community. And um, I just saw an opportunity to not recreate what exists out there. And so um, what I really tried to do was think about what what would what could be different about Embark Collective to drive even further impact? Different from other accelerators, incubators, any sort of traditional support for startups. So I'll I'll talk you through sort of the two main differences for us. Yeah, great. Um, Love to hear that. And so in traditional startup support, and and this is sort of a wide, it's a brushstroke in terms of how I'm making generalizations. But typically, what you're going to see is that there's a um, a program will be set up with a set curriculum. So maybe it's a 12 or 14 week curriculum of here, are the building blocks of how to make a company happen. And, um, so they I have cohorts and people apply. Exactly. And founders apply. Exactly. To get in. Exactly. And, um, you know, what was interesting is when I was talking to the founders down here, what was really striking to me is that how many of them were serial entrepreneurs, how many of them had spent 25 years in industry, um, had some sort of secret skill, or maybe it wasn't so secret, of why they were building the new company that were, they were building. And mm -hmm. um, what I realized is that one-size-fits-all curriculum is not necessarily the best approach for that type of founder. For many, there it's a great approach. But for the ones that I was talking to, I realized that's not going to appeal to them. And so what I started to envision is how do we build a program that instead of us taking this founder through the program, instead the founder leads us. And they do that in a multitude of ways. They do that by defining for us what are their goals of the business, both short and long term. They also guide us in how they want to build the company. So 
you know, for many of the startups that we work with, venture capital is a part of the equation to get them to scale. But for some of them, it's not. And, uh, you know, we don't really make a judgment on, you know, whether venture is right for them or not. Um, we want them, we want them to pick the, the decision that aligns with their aspirations of the business. So, the real difference in all of that is is the fact that there isn't a curriculum. In fact, what we do is we we sort of strip down the program to be totally bespoke to the goals of the founders. And we as an organization then put individualized coaching rather than group programming behind the, the founders to make sure that we're serving those specific goals. So the second difference for us is that most traditional support organizations are staffed by volunteer mentors and so really seasoned, well-intentioned individuals who want to make a difference in their community. Um, but what what is challenging, is, especially in um, communities that aren't Silicon Valley, um, is that there isn't a deep bench of individuals who have built you know high growth technical ventures like you are the exception to the rule you know we need we need uh 10,000s of you out there to really build the the volunteer base that we would need knowing that people get busy they get families sure. jobs like you can't always be there and so i thought about well what would happen if if we're trying to be the accountability partner to startups to help them achieve their short and long-term goals, we need to make sure that we have a good way to stay accountable. And so what I did is I said, well, what if we change the model from being volunteers to being paid coaches? And so what I was able to do is then recruit a staff of paid coaches that are a part of Embark Collective. They are all vetted for their startup experience. They have a specific area of focus that reflects a need that you'll see in early stage tech and tech-enabled startups. Mm -hmm. um, and, and because they're compensated, it creates a level of accountability and dot connection behind the scenes and pass betweens for our coaches that, uh, you know, when you're in a volunteer capacity, you probably just wouldn't have the time or incentive to do. Yeah, um, so, so those two things, the fact <coughs> that it's totally bespoke and really powered by a set of paid coaches are what makes Embark Collective really different. We couple that with the fact that we've created a physical central landing zone for the technology community of our 32,000 square foot hub, which is amazing. You see the energy grow oh, every single day. I love going over there. and Yeah, and it's, it's made for startup founders and it's made to give them community. It's such a lonely experience that, you know, to be able to have somebody who's going along, they might be building a def different company, but they're going along it right by you. It makes the journey a little less lonely. Yeah. When I think, well, first of all, when you look at Embark Collective, do you, and, and maybe help, help people understand, and me understand, what's the difference between an accelerator and an incubator? Absolutely. Where do you put Embark Collective? And when I think about kind of the gold standard in this world, it's Y Combinator. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm kind of curious as to, did you look at them and what do you, what do you like about what they do and you use and what don't? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and lots of, uh, we've, we've taken inspiration from everywhere as we've built out the Embark Collective model. Um, when you're looking at different types of support programs, typically you're going to divide them into um, an incubator, an accelerator, or some sort of general program um, mm. that 
probably Embark Collective fits into. We're trying to form our own category. Um, But incubators are typically for earlier stage, idea stage companies that um, you'll go through the curriculum that the program outlines. And um, really the goal is about product market fit, validation. Is there something here? Um, and then companies may move to an accelerator where uh, the idea, the, the name accelerator is really to to accelerate the growth. And so oftentimes there's a focus on capital with that. And so uh, the curriculum may have more of a focus towards either um, preparing you to be investor ready or preparing you to be customer ready. Mm-hmm. And um, those investor ready programs are going to end with a demo day. You know, do you think about the Y Combinator demo day? That's sort of the, the who's who come out to look at. Um, the companies that go through the cohort and, um, you know, the, the output, the intent behind a program like that is that you're connected and you're, you're, you're qualified and connected to be uh, looked at from an investor perspective, uh, which is really exciting. And, um, you know, I think in terms of the the gold stars, you know, you, the gold standards, you look at a Y Combinator, you look at um, uh, like a Techstars, and they are also putting in, in investment dollars into the cohorts that they're they're working with. And, so and they're, they're not nonprofits, correct? Correct. You're a nonprofit. We are they a nonprofit. Are not, correct. Right? That's yeah. exactly right. So um, they are they're putting in money. They are, um, they have an equity stake in the companies that they're working with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it's and you a, do not do that. Correct. We, and, and part, that's very intentional. Um, when you're working in a, a more nascent market, uh, than, than, you know, established markets like, uh, like Silicon Valley or, or New York or even London, um, what we want to do is first build up the volume of startups that are in Florida and specifically the Tampa Bay region. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by structuring yourselves as a nonprofit, what we're able to do is we we do charge um, a, a, a monthly f- licensing fee for companies to be a part of Embark Collective, uh, but it is deeply subsidized. It's subsidized so that it's 30% of what they should be paying. And we do that in a nonprofit structure. And, and are these typically... Uh, really, really early stage, or are they idea stage, or are they a little bit later they're than that? They're past idea stage. So every company is either has their product, or on, they're on the verge when they're accepted. They're on the verge of having their product ready to go, so that they can start to really test it with market, or be beyond that, be a stage much further beyond that. Um, and how do you bet who gets in, who doesn't? How's yeah, that, what's we, that look like? So we have an application process, um, a written application. It's probably not to the um, diligence level is what you would look at at Florida funders, but it's not insignificant. And um, then the company goes through several interviews. We want to make sure that they know what they're getting into with Embark Collective because we're invest, we're not investing, but we are putting so much resources. Yeah, you're investing in, your time and your energy. Exactly. And their money into these companies through resources. Um, mm-hmm. So we have to make sure that the companies that we're working with are both, you know, they're viable, they're scalable, and the teams are coachable. We're putting in that coaching staff is a gold mine of expertise, of frameworks, of ways of thinking through problems um, that it's hard to put a, it's hard to put a monetary value on that. And so we want to make sure that it's worth the worth our time to work with companies. So they'll they go through the application process of the written application and two um, two in-person applica- uh, interviews in order to uh, for us to really discern 
Um, are they a good fit for what we can offer? Are they a good fit for the community that we've built? We now work with almost 150 startups. Wow. It's a That's beautiful culture. Great, yeah, it's a beautiful culture. And so anybody can rock the boat. We want to make sure that we're, we're, we're adding, creating um, a community that uh, continues to support each other. And are most of the companies coming in local? Founders mostly, or are they coming from all over? What's that look like? So we we have a specific focus. Um, Pre-COVID, we were really focused on Tampa Bay-based companies. So tech and tech-enabled startups based in Tampa Bay. Um, What was really interesting with COVID is like everyone, we sort of found our world of virtualness. It was interesting. It was actually not so challenging for us because we soft-launched our coaching program in 2019 what before our space was ready. So well, you're already well, virtual. Yeah. And so we, our timeline was in March of 2019, we soft launched with 25 companies and rolled out our coaching and some of our, um, our, our group workshops that we would, we would create um, based on the needs coming out of our coaching sessions. And then January of 2020, we opened our facility. And so we went to this in-person life Obviously, March is when the pandemic hit and we had to revert back to our 2019 um, mindset. So unlike many organizations that hadn't experienced the what would virtual be like, we just have to fast or rewind three months, um, mm-hmm. which I, I would at that moment in time, I would have never thought that that was a blessing. Uh, but apparently it was. Um, it and then, yeah, it worked out. So so what happened in that time was that we were starting to get outreach from other companies around Florida. So whether it's Orlando or South Florida, um, those inquiries started to come through. And that's just stayed a part of who we are is that we can start to work with companies across the state. They're not going to be able to take advantage of the physicality of the community. But mm-hmm. everything else we do, every workshop we host is offered virtually. Um, coaching sessions can be virtual. So um, we have a lot of flexibility there. So how do you define success? Success is really in three buckets for us. And so at our core, when we were starting out and I was talking to, to Jeff Finnick about you know, what is this vision, it was about three buckets, attracting talent, retaining talent, and developing talent. And so what's interesting about that to me is that we didn't say ventures, we said talent. And that that's interesting. It's another, it surprised me there. Yeah, and it's it's another reason why the nonprofit structure, at, you know, at least as we've gotten started, really makes a lot of sense because we know that this is, this is not a one-time thing for the startups that we're working with, for the founders that we're working with. We know that they're going to take this experience. Some people are going to be incredibly successful. And some people, that current venture may not be the their home run venture. We like to say we want to invest in their next venture. Exactly, exactly. And, <laughs> and Florida funders. And, and so, but what, what we are happy to do is be that, to that learning ground for them to um, then take those learnings and and apply it to the next venture, the ones that you guys are going to want to invest in. And what's been incredible for us is that we already have, we're, we're such a young organization, but we already have founders who are coming back with their next venture because they were able to go through that experimental mindset and think through, maybe there is a lack of viability in the business that I'm building, but this has really taught me a lot about how I'd approach it if I went at it again. Yeah, I saw something recently. I can't remember exactly, but it was it was speaking to this this idea of of serial entrepreneurs and second and third ventures, and it was about unicorns. And it was and, and the gist of it was I'll probably butcher the numbers a little bit, 
but well over half. In fact, I think it was the majority of unicorn founders. It's not their first, totally. their first, uh, they founded a company previously, but not a wildly successful company, a moderately mm -hmm. successful company. Yeah. And, and I, I thought that was interesting. It made me think of, of, of Elon and his brother. And I don't know if you know their first company, they sold the Compaq. I don't yeah. know if you remember for like 25 million yeah. or something. And uh, so, you know, to your point, you know, them coming back, that's awesome. And, 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 and I don't think about the time horizon different from a venture fund where, you know, the time horizon might be the, the, the length of the fund. Um, I think about the time horizon as the length of someone's career. And so I, I, you know, we might, we might have a 40 year on and off again relationship with somebody who is a serial entrepreneur. Um, and, and that's exciting to me. Yeah. And so being able to provide this really, I mean, the level of infrastructure that we've been able to build out of the startup support is really incredible. And I think can set Tampa Bay apart in terms of being able to attract great talent, um, whether it's talent that's from here and boomeranging back or talent that is new to the area like myself, um, keeping that talent here. And, um, you know, I think that for a, a region that doesn't have as many Fortune 500 headquarters as other places around the country, being able to create your own destiny and having the right infrastructure and support to be able to do that is incredibly important. And along the way, if we can help them make that a learning journey, that's that's Embark Collective. That's why we do what we do. Yeah, and it, it always comes down to talent and capital, right? Yeah. When you're building a, a tech ecosystem. And um, uh, you talked a lot about talent. Let's talk about capital. Yeah. So, Because you get very involved on the capital side, right? And helping these companies raise money. The, the vast majority, I have to believe, of those companies need funding, right? Probably a, a good few number. That don't, yeah, yeah. But, you know, a handful, a handful don't, but we, we sort of stay neutral. We say, like, what is the right thing for you? And many of the companies do uh, see a, a need for capital in terms of how they're seeing their growth come to life. Mm -hmm. um, and so what we do is, is, is pretty intensive in terms of the, the fundraising support. So we have a, we have a couple of members on our team, our coaching staff, who are specifically focused on fundraising. Mm -hmm. And so um, they will be, they help companies with um, really making sure that they're investor ready. So it's almost like a bespoke sort of um, preparation for, for, uh, for those investor conversations. So everything from the deck to the data room to um, making sure we do these mock diligence sessions where we'll bring in sort of a, a friendly investor who might be investing in other markets. So it's a bit safer than, you know, if they're, they're talking to people who might be writing the check mm -hmm. and, and we just have them go through an investor conversation to make sure that they, you know, are, are, are open to the fact that you know, when you're talking to an investor and you're getting questions about the company, it's it's an opportunity to, to share some of your assumptions and your insights and the why behind that, but also opportunity to show that you're coachable and you say, gosh, I didn't think about it like that. It's okay. You don't have to be defensive on, on, on talking yeah. about this. And once a company... Sometimes I think founders think in those presentations that they have to have all the answers. Right. And as investors, we're really not looking for them that they, they're Absolutely. not going to have it all figured out, but what we want to see is how they answer the question right, right. and how they're thinking and the thought exactly. process and the assumptions. Exactly. It kind of reminds me of, um, I don't know if you ever used to watch Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, uh, but the <laughs> a little bit. the respond, the people, the contestants on the show would always talk through their logic of 
these are stupid questions of like, <laughs> is it A, B, or C? But they go through the logic of like, well, this is why I don't think it's A, and this is why I don't think it's B. So therefore, yeah. I think it's C. That's really good yeah, insight exactly. to understand how someone thinks. Um, and an investor definitely wants to know that. And so um, once a company we feel like is going to um, do well in those situations, we want to set them up for success, that's when we'll do warm introductions. And we've been so you don't do demo days, you just do more like one-off. Yeah, we do one-off. And so members of my team, myself included, pretty much every morning are, um, you know, making those introductions on behalf of the companies that we work with when they're ready. But we want to make sure, you know, those relationships are important to Embark Collective. We That's our personal reputation, our organizational sure. reputation. So yeah. um, we, we do have a pretty thorough vetting process on that front to make sure that we're not putting our reputation on the line. Um, you know, it's not a transactional sort of thing where you come to Embark Collective and you get introduced to a bunch of startups or a bunch of investors. I mean, it's... Uh, it's more about, um, you know, what can we do to um, make sure that you're in the best position possible to put your best foot forward to increase your chances of success in that moment. Yeah. So of, of the companies have gone through the program, and I realize some of them are pretty new because you're yeah, doing this. Yeah, and, and they don't leave. It. Yeah, we have a very high <laughs> retention rate, too. Yeah, so most of the original 25 from 2019 are still still working with us. Okay, what I was going to ask you, if... if pick a couple are there some that have done raises in significant like give us an idea like if you have you had a company that's now graduated and raised a ton of money and a high valuation yeah i mean the probably the company that's that's raised the most and um sort of is is just doing gang gangbusters would be ideal agent um they they oh, were, i didn't know they came through yeah so they were original 25 um companies and they you know started with two people at embark collective and i can't left watch and, cnbc without seeing that guy trust me it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty remarkable um and Which, by the way i it, it, i can't tell you the number of uh pitches i've heard over the years of people who are going to disrupt the real estate industry yeah, and i've yeah. yet to see anybody do it so maybe yeah. they'll be successful yeah i hope so i mean the team is is outstanding and 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 What's that's his name? steve johnson it's just yes yeah, steve johnston and so um it's it's really exciting to i get the opportunity to to interact with these people every day. Um, you know, we're all together in the trenches. And so I think I have a, a, a level of empathy and understanding um, mm -hmm. and just appreciation for the, you know, the, the, I get to see the good days and the bad days. Um, sure and <laughs> so um, that team is, is incredibly resilient and um, just has done a, a, a wonderful job. And uh, other companies that I think are really impressive, um, Lease Cake, based out of Orlando, they um, they recently closed, I can't remember how long ago, but they recently closed a Series A $12 million round um, led by Peakspan Capital out of California. And... Um, Again, this is another, you know, I, I have such a bias for when you see great leaders build great teams and Lease Cake is an amazing uh, example of that. Mm -hmm. So um, it's exciting to watch. Um, the I think we passed on that deal. Yeah. I'm starting to have regrets. Yeah. FOMO here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't, I'm pretty sure we did, but yeah. we looked at really early. Absolutely. And so, well, you know, there, there's, there's always next time, but, yeah. uh, well, we can't get them all. Yes. Yeah. We don't need they, to. They, uh, but you know, I, I, there's countless examples of, of companies that not only are, you know, they're, you can tell they're, they are really solving a market need and that market need is big, but also they've got the right people behind it and, um, people who can 
adapt as, you know, building startups hard. And so um, adapt to all of the changing dynamics that they're being thrown, that are being thrown at them as they're trying to build. Yeah. Um, let me switch subjects here for a second. Yeah. Um, I have a daughter who wants to be an ent- entrepreneur someday. She's 25. She'll get there. Yeah. Um, but um, you're female, obviously, and you're leading this group. And one of the things that I think all of us on the investor side would like to see more female founders, would like to invest in more female-led companies yeah. and put minorities in there too, yeah. whether it be African-American, Hispanic. Um, I think that the number is like 1% of all the cap- VC capital invested in the United States go to African-American-led companies. Yeah. They're 12% of the population. Right. I mean, right. so um, how do we change that? Yeah, so uh, it's a, it's definitely not a you know one silver bullet in terms of how do you change that, but I can tell you how we as an organization and Embark Collective have tried to change that. Um, so there's there's good studies that are demonstrating that if you have more women investing, they the number of women who will be invested in the number of female led startups that are invested in will increase. So makes sense. That is it. It actually felt like a challenge that we as an organization could take on. If we could help more women join the ranks of being startup entrepreneurs, maybe we would help make a dent in that very stark, we call it the glaring gap uh, difference between the percentage of women that are invested in versus men. And so three years ago, we launched uh, the glaring gap program, which had a, a report that outlined, here's the state of um, entrepreneurship for women in Florida and the percentage of women who are investing in companies in Florida as well. And it, you know, the, the headlines are uh, exactly as you would imagine. It's called the glaring gap report because there is a glaring gap between the, the number of women who are invested in as well as the number of women investors. Um, and so what we then and did, we see that on our side, we're absolutely. trying to work to get more women absolutely. investors yeah. involved in the angel community and the for sure. And um, I think the the what we did is we didn't want to just put the findings out there. We wanted to tr- create some action and start to create some impact. So um, we built a summit called the Glaring Gap Summit that. Um, each year it takes 50 women. So a third of the women are um, credited investors, but have yet to make a startup investment. A third of them are um, just really high potential professionals who might be getting involved with equity crowdfunding, um, you know, as they work their way to get to accredited status. Mm-hmm. And then a third are college age women who might think, be thinking about a career in investing. And what we've done is we've brought together this amazing due diligence curriculum. So a curriculum that goes through how do you conduct due diligence on a startup led by Angela Lee, who runs 37 Angels and who's a professor of venture capital at Columbia Business School. And so this is intensive. This is not a fuzzy. This is not a fuzzy. Is this a couple day thing? Yes. Yeah, it's multi-day. And we we have the, the participants in the summit put their insights to work and they do a diligence demo or diligence memo on a startup that they see a woman led startup mm-hmm. so that they can go through the exercise of um, this is how I would evaluate this company. And this is how I would make an investment decision if I were going to be investing. And, um, you know, it, it's been great. I mean, I, I use that program as the, the kick in the butt that I needed to start investing in women-led companies. And so, um, you know, I'm not a big angel investor, but I 
do make those investments Good where too. I you have where skin I, in the game. I have skin in the game. <laughs> I've got to. I love it. And um, you know, these are these are founders that I feel really passionately about their what they're building, and I feel like they are um, uniquely qualified to address uh, the companies. So there's a company that I've invested in in the. Um, in postpartum health for women, uh, because so much of the postpartum experience for new mothers is focused on the baby and not necessarily on the mother's health. And mm-hmm. if the mother is not in a place where she is, you know, feeling the best, she how is she going to be the best caretaker to her newborn? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other company that I have um, invested in is this amazing uh, uh, tool to help people do deeper reading. I, I'm a daughter of a librarian. This is very personal to me where, um, you know, in the world where we're just so on our phones, there we're not taking the time to really experience reading as it's supposed to be with analysis and reflection. And, you know, honestly, teams like Goodreads have made it just like a check the box. Like I finished the book. So what, what did that mean to you? Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Is this an Embark collective company? These are actually companies that are based outside of Florida. Okay. Uh, but, but all both women led. So, um, so yeah, so those are, those are the companies that, that I get really excited about just because they really hit on areas that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Um, but Glaring gap was the the impetus for me. It was the forcing function for me to say, okay, you have to get off the sidelines and you've got to start participating. Um, and hopefully it's done it. Now a hundred women have gone through the program and we'll do it again this year in the fall. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, we have um, two, we have a bunch of women, female founders that we've invested in. One is an HBS alumni of yours, Melissa Bridgeford. I don't yeah. know if you know Melissa. Yeah. So she started a company called Stylist that got bought by Wizard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're now investors in Wizard. That's Mark Lohr. He's the billionaire. They founded Jets.com and sold it. it to yeah. um, he sold it to uh, Walmart. Yeah, like eighteen months later for a couple billion dollars. So he's our partner on that. We have um, Lucy Go. I don't know if this oh, yeah. woman. She's a Teal Fellow. Dropped yeah. out of CMU. Yeah, yeah. very is, prolific on Twitter. Oh my gosh, I follow her on Twitter. <laughs> it, I'm. <laughs> I love Lucy. She is out there on Twitter. And some of the stuff I read on Twitter, I'm like, wow, Lucy. Uh, but she's, uh, her last company uh, that she exited is, their last raise was $11 billion. Yeah, yeah. And, and she was the co-founder of that. And then uh, the other, um, our other founder that, just to highlight a few women in our, our is um, Mark Cuban's, this woman's partner, Kylie, do you know her name? Fallon, Fallon, and uh, they're doing a whole metaverse play in the media. And, cool. And uh, so uh, very excited about some of the women founders. We'd like to do more of them. You should. I mean, there's 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 great data to demonstrate that women are great leaders of startups. They're going to be the best fiduciaries of your do- your dollars. So you should you should invest in in uh, women led startups. Well, when I was running companies, I always actually liked having women in my C-suite versus men. I felt yeah. like they were, in many ways, um, they had a lot of advantages. Yeah, they were, they just had more EQ, yeah. and uh, they uh, worked really hard. One, you know, I had a lot of really, really successful women that worked for me that I was, you know, really, really uh, big fan. Um, okay, well, uh, what else did I want to ask you about? Let me look at my list here. I'm going to do it. We end with the uh, uh, lightning round, so I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions cool. and just real quick answers. Um, congratulations on Embark Collective. What you've done there is awesome. Uh, oh, I was reading an article that you wrote or were interviewed for. Well, first of all, congratulations on a woman, but, but businesswoman of the year by the Tampa Bay Business Journal. That's yeah, thank awesome. You. Yeah. Uh, I saw that. And, uh, 
I don't think I've seen you since that. And uh, I was reading an article that you were interviewed for, and it was about what it takes to be a, a CEO, a woman CEO. Yeah. And one of the characteristics that just jumped out at me because I loved it was fearless. Yeah. Tell us about that. You know, I, I think about you know, the startup journey that I've had with Embark Collective since 2018. And it's fun. This week, actually, as I'm, I've been working on some, um, some items for, for my team, uh, I had to go into the depths of my email, which I realize is a very scary thing to do. <laughs> uh, like all of this trauma comes back um, because when you're building a company from scratch, um, it's so fascinating to me how quickly I block out everything that was hard about the journey. And it was only going back to my emails that I realized like, oh my God, there's just been challenge after challenge after challenge of building this organization. And so that fearlessness is not allowing those challenges to dictate your approach. And, and so it's, it's like, it's half fearlessness. It's half being just totally naive or just being blocking out all of the things that that could, all the reasons why you should be scared about what you're about to pursue. I mean, I don't think I gave it proper thought for a good re, for, and it was a good thing I didn't, um, in terms of what I was getting into in, in, in building Embark Collective. I mean, it's been an incredibly difficult journey. Um, and anybody I'm who, sure. anybody who tells you otherwise around building their startup, even if they have a terrible memory, but then tell them just to go back to their emails and then they'll realize, <laughs> oh my God, this was really hard. Um, but that's fearlessness for me is just not allowing that, that thought of what if this goes wrong and just plowing ahead with sheer optimism of, what if this goes right? And like, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if it goes wrong? I mean, that- It's always a great question to ask. And and with the experimental mindset, you can really start to figure out a different approach. If it doesn't go right with the first plan, there's always going to be a different way to get there. Um, and, and it's funny, I was thinking recently about um, my first day of business school, um, our, my section lead was Clayton Rose, who at the time had just finished being COO of J.P. Morgan Chase. And it was the start of the pandemic, or not the pandemic, it was diff different trauma, started the recession. The great recession. <laughs> yes. And I asked, um, you know, what does this mean for all of us? And he so eloquently said, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel. You just might take a different tunnel. And that stuck with me in terms of how I think about, like, what does it mean to take chances? What does it mean to take risks? It just might be a different tunnel. You might find that there's a block and you can't go through that one tunnel. Well, go find another tunnel and you'll see your light. So yeah. that's been well, my it's so thought. appropriate now because what's happened in the last three months exactly. in tech. I mean, yeah. tech's just gotten crushed. Crypto's gotten crushed. Everything's down. Even companies like uh, Netflix's. What are they down? Seventy percent. Incredible. And we're starting to see it on our side, on the investing side. There's a there's a good and bad side. Right. Um, I'd be interested in maybe what you're telling founders at this yeah. time because it might be difficult to raise money for a while. Absolutely. Right? And valuations of are already coming down significantly. Yeah. So my hope is that the valuations won't be 
as severe in terms of what they're going to come down at the seed and series A level, but we have to wait and see. We don't know what's going to happen on that front. But in terms of the guidance that we're giving, we're hoping they do come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm always on the side of the founder there. But, uh, but, but it's, uh, it's what we're, we're trying to make sure that companies are prepared for the worst um, and, and really thinking about scenarios. So, um, you don't want to be blindsided by what could happen. And so having that plan for what if things get really bad? What if it's just not possible for you to raise that next round of capital? What decisions are you going to have to make? Let's make decisions now in terms of how to extend your runway rather than, you know, when you have a few months of runway left. Mm-hmm. Um, so that mindset around being proactive, mindset around um, having scenarios so that, if everything is amazing and all of this ends up not being a real thing that impacts your company, fabulous. You've got your your plan A, but you also have that plan B if everything that we're worried about does come true. Um, and so you know what cuts you're going to have to make. You know where you're going to have to focus. Um, you know what you're not going to be able to rely on that you thought maybe in January of this year you were going to be able to rely on. Um, so it's just a, 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 a like trying to ensure that everyone's just being really prudent and um, proactive so that they're not caught sort of flat-footed um, because there's a lot of signs and, and you've got to read for, you've got to read what's what you think is going to be true, but you know, you should still should be prepared for the worst. That's yeah. just the, the well, I think that, that's good advice. And yeah. we're advising a lot of our founders, yeah. the same thing at the same time. I look at it. I mean, Florida funders, for example, our recent fund was 60 million. We've yeah. only invested 20 of it. Exactly. So we're sitting on a lot of dry yeah. powder. There are other, there are a lot of other ECs in the same position. Yeah. So it's not, I don't think any of us are going to stop investing. No, absolutely. We're just going to invest at a different price probably, which may not be as advantageous for the founders. But, you know, to tell you the truth, I think that some of the valuations got so high that founders were raising at numbers that they were setting themselves up for really possibly doing down rounds in the future. And, you know, you know, the highest, really high valuations aren't, I don't even think are great for founders right? and and can really come back to haunt them. So um, before we go to the lightning round, I have one last question. So Look out five years. What does Florida's tech ecosystem, what does Tampa's tech ecosystem look like? And yeah. where is Embark? I think, um, you know, the question about where is Embark, I think, is is we're a supporter. I mean, we as a brand, we when we built our brand, we we built a brand persona and we called him Alfred and he was named for Batman's butler. Batman's Butler is, uh, yeah, behind the scenes. It's, it's not, it's not, you know, Batman and Alfred, you know, he's not really in the forefront of the story, but always has a Batmobile ready, always has everything ready as one step ahead of making sure that the superhero is ready to go. That's who we are as an organization. We always want to be that Alfred to the startup. Um, And I don't think that that's going to change. I think that that is core to the brand that we want to be building. Mm -hmm. My goal is that in five years, some of the companies that have spent some tenure with us at Embark Collective have really made a name for themselves um, globally in terms of being market leaders in whatever they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. That is what is going to be 
defining the success stories of this region really make this region. I think Absolutely. about, you know, I think about a company like Cameo and that, you know, recently their, their CEO moved to Miami, but he started at 1871 in Chicago. I wrote his first lease. Oh, really? um, and so that company really made a name for the city of Chicago uh-huh. uh, just because of their growth and because of, you know, how, how well known they've become. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want those types of examples five years from now and a multitude of those examples from the population that we're working with today and have yet to work with. Yeah. Great. That's exciting. Okay. Lightning round. Just real quick answers. Favorite business book. The mom test. I don't know that one. You have to get it. It is, I can't go a day without recommending it. It is perfect for ensuring that you are asking the right questions to get to product market fit. I will check it out. Um, who's inspired you the most in your career? Um, I would put a combination of people. So my father, for sure, amazing scientist who uh, passed away actually just months before I made the move to Tampa. So a I'm lot sorry. of my work is very much, um, it's it's almost like an exercise in grief to be able to to pay homage to him. Uh, I would say that Jeff Finnick has been incredible, just incredible in terms of being somebody who believed in me, frankly, before I believed in myself uh, to, to do this. And the third person would be Brian Murphy from ReliaQuest, CEO, founder of ReliaQuest, who's the, our current chairman of the board. And I really see as a guide for me around how I lead, um, not only our team and our organization, but really thinking about how I can model behavior for the startups that we get to work with every single day. Yeah, Brian's built a great company. And yeah, he's absolutely. moving across, he's building a house across the street for me. Awesome. <laughs> so it's awesome. going to be my neighbor. That's great. Um, okay. When you were a kid growing up, what did you want to be? I wanted to be um, an architect, an interior designer, and a stockbroker. <laughs> All at the same time. All at the same time. <laughs> okay. If you weren't running Embark Collective, if that wasn't your job, what would you be doing? I think I'd probably be teaching, uh, hopefully college students, hopefully engaged college students. Um, but I, I love, I love you know, when you grow up in a lab, a scientific lab, you have a tendency to be a nerd. I love academics. And uh-huh. um, that's sort of where I feel at home. Okay. Good. And a last... Um, when you look out at, at emerging technologies that are coming on, what which one excites you the most? Um, I I still love blockchain. I love I love applications of blockchain that are going to create efficiencies and allow us to do things better. So the applications that you're seeing in healthcare, in the insurance space, um, those are the ones that really, banking banking is a great example. Those are the ones that really sort of the, the, I'm less on the crypto side, but more on, you know, how do we use this as a technology? I get, I get really excited about that. We do too at Florida Funders. Lakshmi, this has been great. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. To our audience out there, thank you for joining us. If you want to learn more about Florida Funders, go to floridafunders.com. We have two sides to our website, one for investors and one for founders. If you're looking to raise money, you can apply in five minutes and get in our process um, and go see if there's a fit. And if you're an angel investor and you want to learn more about angel investing, we have a whole side and all kinds of ways to support and help you become a successful angel investor. Thank you so much. Thanks for spending your time with Skin in the Game VC today. If you want to learn more about investing in early-stage tech like a venture capitalist, be sure to visit the Florida Funders website at floridafunders.com. 
Join our angel network at no cost and get access to Florida Funders' VC-vetted investment opportunities in the next great breakout tech companies.